Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. And I want to first make sure I do a nice call out to Bill Slater. He sent me a package this week all about allergies and things that might help me with my allergies. So, wow, I really appreciate that. And um, so thank you very much always for all your participation and support. And I hope that you had a good week and that you're looking forward to this next one. And I, I like the show that we're going to do today. It's, I think it's timely and it's, I'm calling it Loving My Enemy, Why Am I So Angry? And I'm going to talk about the five things that made Jesus angry. So we know that anger can really be a force for good. If we don't have anger, we can't defend ourselves or defend another. But this ongoing intense anger, it's neither helpful nor nor healthy at all. And we, we kind of need to get an idea, a grip on our anger. And this is not shaming at all. This is, a, I, I, I'm glad that we can have passion and be frustrated about the way things in in life are going and caring about our world and caring about others. And so there's a couple of things that I, I think we want to think about. And that anger is common. It's a normal response. And it's part of the sympathetic nervous system that we've talked about before. It's in the fight, flight, or freeze. What it does, though, when we get into that side of our brain, which is the right side of our brain, where all emotions are, when we do have that flash of anger, it does cause us to do more emotional reasoning. And we kind of don't have access or refuse to have access to the left side of our brain, which is where we have logic, critical thinking, and cognitive skills. So it's really important when we're managing all these things in our world that can just spike anger. And I like to um, let people know that anger is in a, on a continuum. So many times I have people say to me, well, I'm not angry. I'm just upset. Or I'm not angry. I'm just irritated. And I say, that's what anger is. It's just a different form and a lesser form. So we go all the way from mildly upset frustrated, disgusted, then we ramp up a little bit, we're offended, 
Now we are wanting to lash out all the way to fury. So this is what I want you to think about. When we are dealing with this anger, it's really important to understand how I either turn it down or be able to turn it up. I don't want to just spike or resist anger completely because anger is part of, like I said, the sympathetic nervous system that if we didn't have anger, we wouldn't be able to, to protect ourselves. We wouldn't be alive. So anger is a very, very important issue. It helps us to know when something's unsafe, helps us to know when we're being mistreated, helps us to know when we have to set boundaries. So it kicks in your body's natural defenses and it kicks them then to overdrive. So when you sense a threat, your nervous system releases these very powerful chemicals that prepare you to either run like crazy, freeze on the spot so that maybe you're not seen, or really lash out and do some harm to people, places, things, animals, whatever it may be. So it puts a lot of wear and tear on your body if you are constantly in an anger state. If you are on that continuum, maybe you're just mildly angry all the way to furious, but you kind of rest in the angry column, then you have to understand what that does to your body. And the more you activate and operate in the fight, flight, or freeze, the more unhealthy you're going to get. It's very hard on your immune system. It's very hard on your muscles. It tears down muscles. It really works your, your brain into overdrive. And so adrenaline is a very serious chemical. And thank God he has given us adrenaline because that does help us survive. But the problem is it's probably the most powerful chemical there is in the world. And it absolutely can kill you. And so you have to be very careful how much adrenaline you are indulging in. So this rapid anger response, it really ramps up your brain. And, and so it helps you, obviously, to know that there's a potential threat. It helps you to protect yourself from it. But the problem is, you know, there's no, no surprise here that anger is really linked to a lot of accidents, a lot of risky activities. Smoking, gambling, drinking, overeating, self-harm, these, these types of things. Uh, you know, ending relationships prematurely, getting in trouble at work because we're angry. So we want to make sure that if we have unchecked anger, that we understand how to manage that. To not shame ourselves for having anger, but to recognize whether or not I need to use it. It's similar to if you had had a gun. Like let's say we're in the in the old west and everyone walked around with a gun. Well, imagine the person that's in the town that shoots first and then thinks later. Shoots first and then asks questions. So we don't want to be just ripping the gun out of our holster and shooting first. We want to say, hmm, I have something here that can protect me. Do I actually need that level of protection? So I want you to think about some warning signs that maybe you might have an anger issue. And, and when it, what I want you to think about is if it, in, if it happens too frequently, if the intensity is really strong, and if it's enduring. Like I can't get over it. I keep thinking about it. Or I keep adding on to it. So I get offended at work, and as I drive home, I'm getting more and more offended. I have less grace for anybody on the road. I walk in the door, 
first thing I see is dinner's not ready. I explode. I'm mad at the kids. They left their stuff sitting around. Now I'm really losing it. Because the thing that does happen with anger, if we are inappropriate, we do feel shame. And many times, unfortunately, it is like this double bind. Once we feel shame, we might get angry. So it becomes this cycle of I'm angry because I'm angry. And we want to find the cause of what that is. We're, and so we end up searching for targets to, to really point that anger at and say, you or that is the reason for my anger. So we want to really look closely at ourselves, And we want, we want to realize that we're not alone in this. I mean, there, there are people, they've lost jobs, they've lost friends, they've lost family, they've gotten wrecks, they've had addictions. Anger is a very powerful very powerful feeling. And we have that famous story in the Bible of Jesus just clearing out the temple. I mean, and this wasn't like a little rant. This, he was harming people. I mean, he was throwing things. He was pushing people. He was furious. So we have to understand that God gave us anger. We're not the ones that created it. And he gave it to us for a very important reason. So the first step to understanding anger and to understand your particular anger is, is really understanding how you're going to interpret an event. It really has so much to do with our interpretation. And when, when we talk about past, present, future, we have to understand that a lot of what happens if our past is unresolved is it's kind of like landmines in our heart and in our mind. So someone could be just mildly maybe offensive or impolite, but if you have some unresolved things from other people that have mistreated you, you might really overreact to that stranger who just maybe was having a bad day and acted like an idiot. So we want to think about how we can adjust our thinking. So we might say to ourselves, instead of calling a situation awful or terrible, we might say to ourselves, you know, this is really unpleasant. This is really irritating. This is really annoying. And when I speak that out loud or think that to myself, I give my brain a chance to find a new configuration of what it's doing with this problem that it wants to solve. So when I use words to say, you know, yeah, I can't stand it when this happens. I don't like it. It's frustrating me. It's irritating me. I know it's not dangerous. I know it's not illegal. It's probably not even immoral, but I'm not happy about it. Well, as soon as I voice it to somebody, even to myself, I am going to get a better handle on it. So when we have upsetting situations, we want to say things like, I really don't like it when this happens, versus I can't take it. I can't take it. This is wrong. This is terrible. This is horrible. Who's in charge here, right? We want to be really careful about how we characterize the event. And we want to take out shoulds and coulds and ought to. Because many times when we use should, you know, you should do this, or they should have done that, or I wish, you know, you, I should have done this for you, and I shouldn't have done that, we end up what we call, therapists call it frequently, you're shoulding all over yourself. Because it does bring a level of shame and condemnation. So we can regret a behavior, absolutely. We can say, you know, in, in, in the future, I'm going to work really hard on not acting that way. That didn't help me. It didn't help anybody else. I'm going to forgive myself, forgive the other person. And I'm going to reset, and I'm going to do it differently. And if I need to make amends, I will make amends, and I will then have a clean slate and move on. 
So the, the really important thing about anger, I want you to make sure with yourself and with others, you only judge the behavior. You don't judge the person. You don't judge the feeling. I say to clients frequently, you know, if we could all choose our feelings, we'd be happy all the time. And so, you know, we get angry. We don't always understand why. But what we want to do is not judge ourselves for that. We want to say that's an indicator. Why did that flare up? What's going on with me? And for the majority of us, especially in America, we really can take time. We don't have to do anything immediately. So we can really think about it, pray about it, really ask ourselves what's going on with us. What are the variables? What do I need to do? What do I not need to do? So this is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about why am I so angry and how to really not be so angry. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for all of your participation on social media and just the comments that you make and that you've given to me. I appreciate all of that, that support and just the fact that these shows are helping. And thank you for sending them to friends and forwarding them to people. So I want you to know that if you're just tuning in, you can go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and you can listen to the show right off the website. You can download it. You can also go to your favorite podcast server. We have them all on all kinds of different podcast servers. So they should be pretty easy to find. So today we're talking about anger and why am I so angry? Because I don't know if you haven't noticed, but people are a little bit on edge right now. And I understand why. I, I mean, I'm not super happy all the time right now with the way things are going and some of the things I'm hearing and the ways that people are acting. But I have to really say to myself, the only person I can control is me. And I have a hard enough time sometimes with that. So we don't want to always be outwardly focused. We want to say, what can I do that even if it's a small piece may help this situation? Because there is this ripple effect, right? It's like I, I affect you, you affect the next person, that next person affects somebody else. So if we can just do one person at a time, you'll be amazed at how much can change. So let's talk about, we, we don't want to wait for a specialist or a program, all right? We, we want to really be doing what we need to do with our anger today. If you need to get help, you need to call someone, you need to talk to a friend, be discipled, um, find a therapist, coach, whatever that may be. But it's really important to say, this, this is not good for me. It's not good for the people around me. And it's really not the best version of me. So it's a, it's a habit many times that we get locked in anger. And again, remember, anger is on a continuum. So it starts with mildly irritated, upset, frustrated, concerned, all these words to the point that we get at boiling mad fury. So we want to be aware of where we are on that continuum and how often I'm on that continuum. See, the more angry I get, the more often I stay on the anger continuum. I just do mild forms of anger and big forms of anger. What I want you to be experiencing is all the other feeling realms, which is sad and glad and scared. 
I don't want you just to be in anger. Anger is very, very hard on the body. We've done shows before on sadness. Sadness is not nearly as dangerous to the body as anger is because one of the things we have is tears. And when they have studied tears, they find that your tears are very unique. Every tear is unique to why the eye teared. So if you're angry, the tear has a certain chemical combination. If you're laughing from tears, it has a chemical combination. If it's simply a tear because you've got something in your eye, it has that its own chemical combination. So it's very fascinating when you think about the way that God has created us and how important it is for you to be in charge on top of you, managing you, knowing that this world is now quite angering. It, I, I hope that's a word. Maybe I made it up, but it is very angering. So this is what we want to think about. This is part of being human. God is not mad or angry with us for being angry. He's the one that created us. It's in all mammals. All mammals have the ability to be angry. And so we want to think about how fascinating it is that God came in in human form as he was Jesus. And we know that Jesus was angry. He got angry at different things. And so I want to talk to you about five things that really angered Jesus. And see if you can find yourself in any of these, or maybe all, I can find myself in all of them. But we as Christians, you know, we, we probably get offended too easily. I, I know that I, if I'm not on my game, if I'm tired, if I've heard too many things that I just think are bad, sad, scary, whatever, I might not have the same tolerance that I typically do. So I have to really practice saying, I am not going to get offended. I want to seek to understand this person. Doesn't mean I agree with them. It doesn't mean I water down how, how very negative I may think the behavior or the thought is. Doesn't mean I give excuses. But it means that I'm very careful about wearing an offense. Because being offended, that's the step into anger. As soon as you allow yourself to be offended, Anger is your best friend. It always generates anger, judgment, resentment, all those types of feelings. And those also then lead to fear, anxiety, frustration, disappointment, sadness. So that kind of ushers in so many negative feelings. So we're passionate people. We, we, you know, we have strong feelings and we probably have even stronger opinions. And so, you know, few in our culture are confused about what really matters to us, right? We know what matters. And frankly, you know, as believers, we also know what we are against and what we are for. And probably the list is longer than it probably should be. So there's many of these issues that we may fight for. And when I talk to people about this whole anger issue and why we have the ability to be anger, angry, you want to think about these three things. We have, the, we have what we are willing to fight for, what we're willing to argue for, and what we're willing to die for. So what I find sometimes in our society is that we're almost willing to die over something that, that we might even, we probably shouldn't even be fighting or arguing about. We're willing to die over the fact that the person pulled out in front of me and didn't signal. 
I mean, we're willing to take that person down if we have let ourselves be easily offended for too long and we have not dealt with the anger, then we are in a constant angry state. Now, we may not be hitting and screaming and swearing and yelling at people, but we're sure ready. We're locked and loaded, right? And that's where we need to be really careful. So we want to think about what is God really clear about? What really matters to him? And, and what are his opinions on some of these things? And we're going to talk about mercy and grace, forgiveness, eternal life, injustice, abuse, truth, and discord in the body of Christ. These things really matter to God. You want to make God mad? Do not extend mercy or grace. You want to make him really upset? Refuse forgiveness to yourself if he's willing to forgive you or someone else. Practice injustice. Abuse people. Don't love the truth. Don't honor the truth. Kind of try to manipulate the truth. And purposefully being at odds with, with people that are in the body of Christ. These things are really not going to go well with God because he knows what it does to our health, our well-being, our effectiveness, what it does to our relationships, what it does to our hope, and how well we are able then to love others when we practice those things. So the list is, is endless. I mean, there are more things than just those that, that really matter to God. But there are some things that really matter to some Christians, but really don't matter that much to Christ. And so we're going to talk in the next segment about what really matters to God, but what do we think really matters when it comes to being a Christian. And sometimes we get kind of religious on God. And we, we major in the majors and not in the minors. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about why am I so angry and what really matters to God. Good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I always want to appreciate your support for this program and sending it to your friends and your loved ones and, you know, anyone that will listen to it. It just, we just really want to make this world a better place and one that really helps people understand who Christ, who God really is, not who they maybe think he is or who they have been told he is, but who he truly is. So we want to reflect that. And that in and of itself is quite a feat. So we are talking about five specific things that really angered Jesus in the Bible. And that helps us to know, hey, if we want to follow in his way, maybe we want to be careful what we get really angry with. And, and maybe we want to say, you know, would Jesus get angry about that? Would he, like, go off? I mean, when he got angry, you know, he, he, he threw people around. He, like, you know, decimated the temple. I mean, he was yelling. He was hot. He was mad. So we want to think, though, about why he did that and what were the things that caused him to have kind of like a meltdown so that we can say, you know, those are going to be the majors for me as well. And I'm going to work on not majoring in minors. There's so many things that God overlooks, and you have to know that to be true, because if God didn't overlook 
so many things we'd all be we'd be dead. He w- he would have probably stopped the whole entire process with Adam and Eve. So we know that there are many things that God just kind of rolls with. He just kind of overlooks, kind of just says, takes a deep breath and goes, yeah, that's, that's my people. So let's think about this. What, uh, for us, if we are following Christ, following God, then it would seem op- obvious that what would upset Jesus should upset us. If it mattered to him, it should matter to us. And conversely, if it didn't matter too much to Jesus, then maybe it shouldn't matter to us. So if you want, I I just want to give you a little place that you can go to. South Bay Bible Church did a really nice segment on this thing about what Jesus gets angry about. So I just want to give them credit for that. I really liked some of the the work that they did. So, So I want you to make sure you can go visit and read more about it if you'd like. So anyways, let's get back to this and remember that we have opinions and there's nothing wrong with having opinions. And what we want to make sure is that our issues really aren't about things that aren't causing us to be in heaven or hell, that aren't having lifetime or, or, you know, final consequences in our lives. That we say, you know, is this going to really matter in heaven? Is this going to keep someone out of heaven? Or is this just how someone is figuring out their life as they're down here trying to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? Or... God's trying to make sure that, that they, he, they choose him, that he's able to have relationship with them. So there's a lot of things that are being worked on down here, <laughs> preparing for heaven. So we want to make sure that we're majoring in things that are really going to have eternal consequence. So let's talk about what really upset Jesus. Well, the first one, I'm going to give you Mark chapter 3. This is verses one through five, and this is out of the Message Bible, and this is when they were arguing about doing good deeds on the Sabbath, and it starts with this chapter three, and it says, then he went back in the meeting place where he found a man with a crippled hand, and the Pharisees and their, had their eyes on Jesus to see if he would heal him, hoping to catch him in a Sabbath infraction, and he said to the man with a crippled hand, stand here where we can see you. Then he spoke to the people, what kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? And guess what? No one said a word. When he talked about what the Sabbath was really about, they had no case against him. So we want to make sure that we have good critical thinking skills that we understand what we are thinking, where, where we are having an opinion and where that opinion comes from, and is it well-founded, so that we just aren't having emotional opinions all the time, that we really understand why we believe something. Why do I believe that? Why would I, why would I stand behind that as a cause? Instead of just because it sounds like the right thing and everybody that I'm with is doing it. We want to really think about these things and say, I represent Christ everywhere I go. Whether I know it or not, people see me. Whether they acknowledge me or not has nothing to do with whether or not they saw me. So this is really important when we see that Jesus said, you know, what, what's the point of the Sabbath? It's not about not doing work. It's about doing good, not doing evil. It's a time to re- reconnect with God. It's a time to get a reset and to do good all 
every day. So make sure that, that, that you understand one of the reasons that we have Jesus that came is he really is showing us the way as a human so that we can really interpret what God is telling us. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about what made Jesus mad. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me. And if you are just tuning in, this is our last segment for this particular show. And so if you haven't been able to hear the show in its entirety, you can go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Click on the radio link at the top of the first page of the website, and it'll take you to the most current radio shows. You can also go uh, and, and look under all the different podcast servers and just type in one word, Cynthia conversations with Cynthia and you'll find shows on all different types of podcast servers. So we are talking today about loving my enemy and about five things that made Jesus angry. And I think it's helpful to know, you know, what we get angry about so many things that really have nothing to do with morality. They have everything to do with how we feel, with our preferences, what makes sense to me. So this is why I think it's helpful to look at what really got Jesus going. What, what really makes God mad? And so the first one that we talked about was this thing, this hardness of heart, that that really upset Jesus. When they were making the Sabbath, when they were making Sunday such a legalistic situation, he wasn't even allowed to heal someone on the Sabbath. They made it, they had, they had prostituted that day so, so badly. So we know that the hardness of heart, not, not being tender-hearted so you hear the, 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 the thoughts and the feelings of God and the ways that he wants you to move so that you're open to who he is. He doesn't want us with hardness of heart because judgment comes from that. And so the second thing that really upset Jesus was when he saw selfish ambition. And this is Mark chapter 8 verses 31 and 38, and it goes on to say, Jesus warned them to keep it quiet. He said, don't breathe a word of it to anyone. He then began explaining things to them. He said, it's necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty. Peter grabbed him and protested, saying, turning and seeing his disciples wavering and wondering what to believe, Jesus confronted Peter and said, Peter, get out of my way. You have no idea how God works. Peter's intention was to save Jesus. And Jesus knew that this was more out of selfish ambition because Jesus was explaining to him exactly what needed to happen. So he went on to say that calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me. I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. So what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? What, what powerful, powerful words. 
So the third one that really upset Jesus is spiritual arrogance. And we see this in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 55. And he starts with this. When it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage, steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead. They came to a Samaritan village to make arrangements for his hospitality. But when the Samaritans learned that his destination was Jerusalem, they refused him hospitality. When the disciples, James and John, learned of it, they said, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? And Jesus said, of course not. And they traveled to another village. So Jesus could have easily been so offended by the short-sightedness of the Samaritans. And he could have punished them for it, given them a consequence. And we know that, that John certainly had the ability, James and John had the ability to do this. And Jesus said, of course not, because he saw their spiritual arrogance. So how about this one, self-centeredness? So in Matthew chapter 23, 10 and 12, this is what we see. It says, don't let people do that to you put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you all are classmates. So don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father and he's in heaven. Don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you. That's Christ. So do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Now, you may be thinking, wow, I wonder why she read that verse, because she's a therapist and she's an expert for people in their lives, so how does she even interpret that? So I want you to know really what this is talking about is the heart of the matter. If I have people that are putting me on a pedestal, that they're saying, well, Cynthia told me to do this, and they're not thinking about it? If I'm thinking that they're going to me and they don't even go to God, then see, I'm going to address that. I'm just a human like everybody else. I have a calling on my life that I, that I walk out. But God would never want anyone to take his place in your life, however you see him or know him or experience him. So it's really important that we understand this idea of stepping down, that we're a servant. See, all the people that, that come to my office that are on my, on my caseload, I serve these people. I love these people. I want their lives to work so they can do everything that God has designed for them to do so they can impact the world in only the way they can. And if I present myself as the expert that you do is what I say, that's not going to happen. They'll just become Cynthia followers. I want them to be God followers, just as I am. So this is important because the last thing that God really, really hated was hypocrisy and fake religiosity. And we see this in Luke chapter 11. He says, when he finished the talk, a Pharisee asked him to dinner, and he entered the house and sat down at the table. The Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal. But the master said to him, I know you Pharisees burnish the surface of cups and plates so they sparkle in the sun, but I also know your insides are maggotry with greed and secret evil. Stupid Pharisees, 
Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor. Then your lives will be clean, not just your dishes and your hands. And he goes on to say, I've had it with you. You're hopeless. You Pharisees, you frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but you manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. This is why he says you're hopeless. You're hopeless. You're frauds. You're sitting at the head of the table at church dinners. You love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. You're frauds. You've just, you're just like unmarked graves. And this is why we want to say, wow, God is not wanting hypocrisy. He's not wanting puffed up people. He's wanting honest, open, natural humans that are working really hard at being who God has intended for them to be that are willing to take correction, willing to take rebuke. They are wanting to be sharpened like iron against iron. They are wanting to do the call that God has on their life. That's what pleases the Father. So we have to stop being angry Christians, unless it's something that Christ made mad, right? If it made Christ mad, then we want to be mad. But what we want to think about is we, we don't have to necessarily always agree, but but if we disagree, we don't want to be disagreeable in our disagreements. And that was a quote by M.R. Dehan, and I love that quote. I mean, what a concept. It's rather than having disdain or contempt or scorn, let's do our best, especially with our brothers and sisters, to live in humility, harmony, and peace. So I want you to think about this whole idea of how, how do we do this again? And here's some other ways to look at this. In Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 33, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, don't waste your time on useless work, on mere busy work. The barren pursuits of darkness expose these things for the sham they are. It's scandal when people waste their lives on things that they must do in the darkness where no one can see them. Rip the cover off those frauds. See how attractive they look in the light of Christ. So wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. Watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, right? Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. And any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master. Wow. Any excuse for a song to God is great. He loves it. So isn't it interesting that this is, this is thousands of years ago, and he's saying, hey, don't get too drunk, and don't do all these drinking songs. I mean, God knows his people, and he knows our proclivities. So we want to have good relationships. So, so out of respect for Christ. Be courteous and reverent to one another. So how do I love someone that's really unlovable, right? Because that's what God, that's what God is. And, and in Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus says this, To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If they grab your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. 
If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live graciously. And one of my favorite, favorite verses is Luke chapter 6, 35 and 36. It says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. And I love that verse. God is kind. You be kind. Kindness is not something that is earned. Kindness is, is a human need. And Jesus was kind, even when he was rebuking people, because he only wanted them to be free. So let's think about this. You love your friend. That's easy to do. It's the friend you picked. Now, maybe they're unlovable at different points. But how about loving the person that you didn't pick? How about really loving your enemy? And I'm not talking about, listen, we're not talking about being friends with them necessarily. We're talking about not falling into hating them and wanting bad things to happen, thinking, wow, if just something really bad happened, maybe they'd turn their life around. What we want to say to ourselves is we don't understand why that person is acting that way, thinking that way, doing whatever it is they're doing. But God does. And that person still belongs to God, even if they're problematic for me. So I don't have to be best friends. But I do need to be kind, because God is kind. Courtesy goes a long way. Have a great week. I'm so glad you joined me today. God bless you. And make sure that you practice some of these things we talked about. Send this to your friends so that we can all really, truly turn this around. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Have a great week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be